Um, no, but I'm, I'm excited for this series actually to be able to jump in and go through SOAP as a way of teaching in the community, but also uh, as a way of entering into conversation as a community. And so with, with that said, um, just a couple resources actually that I just want to point to real fast before we jump in, is that if you go to the website, FOS, that's FOS.church, F-O-S.church, um, there's a link there, you can click on an image, it says SOAP, and join us on the daily rhythm of doing soap with us um we'd love to have you join in and and then on thursday mornings at 10 a.m uh we're gonna we do soap together on zoom here and so there's a link for that as well there and so we'd love for you guys to be able to join us it's just a way for us to stay connected as a community in this time of uh, physical distancing but we're trying to do social connection at the same time so um just want to invite you guys to, to to participate in that rhythm with us um, so with all that said, my scripture from today I took was uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Observation. Uh, the word love is tricky to peg down. Like love is one of those things that it's so easy for us to fill it with our own meaning. One of the common ways that, that people, especially in the church, have tried to define love is by utilizing uh, C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. And I just pull that out as a, as a simple tool because it's, I think it's a way that, that a lot of us have heard it before. And so it's a way for us to just be able to enter into the conversation based on some uh, common ways of, that we've actually heard it before. And so um, in, in his book, The Four Loves, he just breaks down the word love based on the four ancient Greek words translated in the Bible um, as love in, in the English Bible, right? And so the first one is uh, storge, which he defines as an empathetic bond. And I would, just, I would just add to that, you know, the type of bond or the type of love that says, I'm present with you, I understand your pain and your joy, I'm here, I'm with you. Like, that would be that kind of, that kind of love. Um, then there's phileo, which defines um, love as, friend, as a friendship bond, right? You know, the type of love that forms between brothers and sisters, like many of the friends that I, that I have growing up with, I still call them brothers to this day because, you know, we grew up and we shared that I got your back type of love. So I, I would say phileo is that I got your back type of love. Um, and then there's eros, which defines, uh, he defines as romantic love and the type of love that makes you do crazy things. Um, you know, because we've all fallen in love kind of idea. And it's like a flame that, that gets hotter when fanned, but it can also become extinguished as well. And then there's the agape love, which define, he defines as unconditional God type love. Um, and I would say it's the, you know, it's the type of love um, I think most parents have for their children. Uh, it's like you don't love them because they're good. You love them because there's something that feels intangible or unexplainable that connects you to them. And so no matter what they do, or if you're one of the, ch if the child, no matter, or if you're the parent, you know what I mean, that idea of no matter what's happening, there's always that love bond that happens there. And so I believe, like for me, at least I believe this is the way my parents love me. If they don't love me, they can just don't tell me, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I feel like that's like, it's just trying to put, put some, some definition to that, some language to that. And so I would say this though, that while C.S. Lewis's work, um, it's helpful like to begin to like define love in a broader sense for us, it still leaves us with plenty of ways that we can define love that don't fit neatly into one of those categories, right? And so one of the ways, one of the things that I find interesting is that language betrays our values. We have one word for love in English, um, but for example, like we have uh, many words that define cars for, in our society, for example, right? Automobile, car, truck, hot rod, 
right? Um, we have multiple words that begin to define uh, a lot of our material positions actually, possessions actually, right? So it's, it's not just cars, but, and so it begins to portray what we actually value in our society based on the, on, on the amount of language given to it, right? So the more words we give to point something, to point to something and differentiate between the variances of that thing, show our value for it. Right, so we can even see that within the English and ancient Greek word for love. In English, it's almost undefinable because it's, it covers such a broad and extensive list of things. Like when we say love, reality is, is most of us are like kind of like, cool, it means something to you. Um, whereas in the ancient Greek, they, they had four main ways of talking about love. So when they use one of those words, it's like, oh, okay, I know what you mean. Because, they're, they're, you know what I mean? So there, there was a sense of cultural value based on the amount of language given to it. And so the more you value something um, or the more something has value to a culture, the more, uh, the more important it is to precisely define that thing by giving it proper language, right? And so I say all that to say that when we read the New Testament and we see the word love, I, I would say that we're at a, sorry, what? Okay. Um, so I'll just ju jump back if you guys can hear me. Um, when we, when given to the English language, right? Like um, the word, the word Greek word in Greek and, and, the, and the English word for love, we just see that, that there's a disadvantage, right? Like there's one word versus four words, just to sum that up. Um, and I say all that to say that when we read the, 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 the New Testament and we see the word love, we are at a disadvantage because we are left to fill in the definition of from love for love from our pretty vast categories and definitions of that word, right? So this leaves more chance um, that we do not mean the same thing when we use the same word, and nor are we understanding it to mean the same thing when we read the, the word love together, right? And so there's just lots of opportunity for misunderstanding for what that means. And so the clearer that we can get about it, the, the more we actually have to begin to define it as a culture. And so the New Testament, which 1 Corinthians is a part of, is written exclusively in ancient Greek. And for the most part, when we read our English translations, I wanna I want be fair to this, so when we read our English translations um, of this like 2,000 year old collection of writings, uh, we actually get a pretty fair translation that's helpful to us, right? Like it's, it's pretty accurate for the most part. Um, but in some cases, like I would say 1 Corinthians 13, uh, we are left at a disadvantage because English can't easily translate the specific nature of what, we, what is meant by the Greek word that we use in this passage for love. And so uh, the Greek word in this passage that translates as love is the word agape. Now jumping back to, to C.S. Lewis's definitions, right? agape is his unconditional God-type love. And I would say agape could be summed up as a deep, unconditional longing type love. Um, and one of the reasons that historically people have said that agape is a God type love is because they pull it from verse uh, from first John verses four, eight, where it says, whoever does not know love does not know God because God is love. And the word chosen in the Greek there again is the word agape. And so they have kind of moved that into say because God is love. Therefore, this is a God type love. Right. And so when we read first Corinthians, we could read it as talking about the type of love that is deep, a type of love that is long and a type of love that is unconditional and a type of love that is that God is actually defined by because God is love. So when we get to verse 13 and it reads, now, these three things remain faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. It becomes an incredibly loaded and potent phrase. Right. 
When we love in this way, we are living into our God-created image-bearing selves. When we love in this way, it, is, it has no expiration date because it is the greatest of the three things that remain. When we love in this way, I believe, God, I believe we create space for people to be able to see God present. And so my application is this. Um, and so philosopher and theologian James K.A. Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, he says, it this, says this, discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive and intentional about what you choose to love. Um, and I would say, I think the New Testament writers are quite helpful in pointing clearly to who and what we're supposed to love, or, or even just say in the Gospels, um, it's very clear, like love God, love your neighbor, love one another, love your enemies, right? Or to sum it up the way that author Bob Goff does, love everybody always. Um, and Bob Goff, he's a lawyer who lives in Los Angeles um, and he's written some, some very simple books, like, like truthfully you read them in the afternoon, um, yet very profound books on, on love. One book is called Love Does and then the other book is called Everybody Always. And here's a quote from the latter. Uh, Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. He said it wouldn't be what we said we believed or all the good we hoped to do someday. Nope. He said we would identify ourselves simply by how we loved people. It's tempting to think there is more to it, but there's not. Love isn't something we fall into. Love is something we become. I love that phrase. Love, is something, is, love isn't something we fall into. Love is something that we become. Because um, I, th I think it leads, leads us back even into understanding like that, that God is love kind of definition, right? God is love. Um, and, and, and in loving people, we become love as well. And so Bob Goff, um, in his book, Everybody Always, he tells this uh, incredible story um, that, that really impacted me when I, when I read the book um, about a witch doctor in Uganda. Um, and just to give context to the story is that in, in, in northern Uganda, there, there, was, there was a lot of uh, practices of, of witch doctors um, kidnapping and, and murder and, and killing kids um, in order to use them in like ritual sacrifice and things like that. And this one witch doctor who was like the head witch doctor of the area, like the, he was the witch doctor that every other witch doctor feared um, idea. Um, he, he, he kidnapped this boy and drug him into the, into the jungle and he, he castrated the boy and, and, and took the boy's private parts um, in order to use them in a, in a ritual and he left the boy to die. Um, long story short, the boy doesn't die. He, he comes, somebody finds him and, 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 he, and, he, and he begins to heal. And he's the first witness, he's the first person to survive um, and be able to actually testify and, and bring charges against a, a witch doctor uh, for these kind of crimes. And so Bob Goff is invited to, to, to be the prosecutor in this, in this case because none, none of the prosecutors in Uganda were willing to take the case because they were, they were afraid of this witch doctor. And eventually there's, there's a judge who, who, who says, I'll, I'll, I'll hear the case if you're willing to try the case. And so long, long story short, uh, the, the, the witch doctor is actually found guilty, eventually found guilty and, and thrown into prison. And, you know, Bob Goff, he, he wants to just walk away. He's like, this person is evil. Like this, is, this person is the epitome of evil. Like he tells a story that there was a point where, where the witch doctor looked at the video camera and the whole video camera like started to like fry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like he had like this kind of mystical, magical, like demonic 
however you want to you know talk about it like it, it was evil personified kind of idea and so when this guy's in prison um bob goffs is like well okay like i i'm actually called to love my enemies so um he goes and visits this person in prison and and, and he begins to ask the ask this witch doctor about his own story and the, and the witch doctor is telling him about his own childhood about the trauma of his own childhood he was the son of a witch doctor and we'll call that basically his entire life he's been isolated as somebody that is unloved like it's, it's they're tolerated in community because they people people believe that they had some sort of power but at the end of the day there was this very isolated very disconnected very shallow existence that, that brought him nothing but heartache and so in the midst of of, of bob goff and this guy hanging out they, they like bob goff um, he said he wouldn't define it as as, as friends, um, but but he but he he genuinely said, "How do I love this guy? How do I how do I love this guy?" And ultimately, this this guy ends up through their relationship saying, "He's like like your ability to love me, even though in light of all these things, I want I want to have that ability to love people." And so this guy ends up coming into a relationship with Jesus, following following Jesus, and and wanting to 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 be love himself the way that Bob Goff is being love. And so here's this guy who, who everybody's afraid of the prisoners won't come around him. And so he, he starts wanting to reach out to the different prisoners. And he asked Bob Goff because he asked Bob Goff, would you stand with me while I tell other people about love, about God? And so him and Bob Goff, so Bob Goff goes into the prison with him and he begins to tell all the other prisoners about this love that he has found and how it has caused him to be a person of love as well. And so we see all these other people's lives begin to transform um, from this witch doctor who Bob Goff said gave the worst um, version of the of, of the gospel that he's ever heard, but it was so soaked with love that, that people couldn't help but respond to it, right? He got all the facts wrong, but he got the heart right as, as, he, as he shared it. And so the end of the story isn't like this, the, the witch doctor, unfortunately, well, not unfortunate, but the witch doctor, he, he dies in prison. Um, he, he was on death row regardless, but he dies in prison um, of pneumonia or something like that. And but at the end of the story is actually that he leaves this legacy in this prison of of inviting people to feel love, to be loved, to into a relationship of love, instead of leaving them uh, the, the the legacy of just being a witch doctor who who was evil, right? And so the story ends with the witch doctor, this witch doctor who's transformed by love, who who's transformed from being a witch doctor to being a, a, ch a child of God, to being someone. That, that is inviting others to be loved by God as well and wanting to share that love with as many people as he could. And so I would say this is that if, if this evil man, this witch doctor could become love before he died, I have hope for every single person on this Zoom call right now. You know what I mean? That there's, there's not one single person that can't find their way to become love in, in, a, in a meaningful and impactful way in, in our communities, in, in the, to the people around us. And so I would, I would just say, I would follow up with this by saying, like, if you hang around us for any length of time, um, you've undoubtedly heard, like, even Glenn said it when we first launched into the Zoom call, uh, the phrase reduced to love. And so reduced to love is part of the vision that we have uh, profose as a community, right, as an expression of the body of Christ. And, and, I, and I love this part of our vision. I love that, that, that we are a community that's intentionally trying to shape our, ourselves um, around this idea of love so that when all is said and done, we will be a community known for its love over anything else. And so the phrase um, re reduced to love comes from comes to us from our dear friend Kathy. Uh, when she heard the vision for FOS community, 
um, in light of reading 1 Corinthians 13, she said, oh, you want folks to be reduced to love. That's the vision. I get it. And, and so I grew up Pentecostal. So when I, when I heard that, right, um, when I heard her say those words, I couldn't help but like clap my hands and, and give an enthusiastic amen. And we're in the middle of indigo now and the people at the table are staring at us. Um, but it was one of those things that just kind of hit me in a certain way because like she was able to capture in three words um, something that me and Glenn probably put a thousand words to um, if you ever read our, if you ever read the little booklet about the vision of folks. <laughs> Um, but I thought it was such a beautiful and powerful image that she had given for folks, right? Because I think about all the other places that we use the word reduced, right? Like reduced to rubble, reduced to ash. When something is stripped and laid bare, what is left? For the church, that permanent thing left is faith, hope, and love. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. My, my dream for folks is that when everything is laid bare, we will be known as a community of faith, hope, and love. And, and I would say that since we launched at the end of last, last, um, last year, at the end of September, uh, it's been a pretty hard road um, with a lot of things kind of, with the speed of things changing on us that were beyond our control. Like we, we, we lost our facility. We've, we've, you know, we had to move facilities. We had to do all these different things and all this different stuff kind of came at us and it was beyond our control, but we just had to try to adapt and, and, and move with it. And it, it kind of culminates in this season that we have right now with the COVID-19 stuff where circumstances have conspired to make us have to adapt again. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I, for me, I think this is a good thing. At least I, I think it is. I hope it is because it's forcing us to test the thesis, right? That Folks is a community reduced to love. It's, it, it forces us to test that idea and that hope that we have, that vision that we have for community, that we are a community reduced to love. And so right now, um, churches across the globe are, are being put to that same test. And, and like when all fades away and, 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 and when all this fades away and all this is all said and done, um, what will be left, right? And, and there's some churches um, that are finding out that their programs, their buildings, all the things that they've been doing are mere, mis are mere facades that have kept them from actually loving the people in their midst. And, and I don't say this as an attack on any church, but the reality that I've heard from different church leaders as they've lamented about the fact that we'll call when all when, when, when this hit and they had and they had to, when they couldn't meet anymore and they couldn't do the programs and they couldn't do their things. They're like, we actually didn't have anything worth of value left at that moment. And, and so I've heard different, different church leaders um, lament about this. And then I, for me, it forces me to ask the question, is folks any different, right? Are we any different? Um, our thesis is being tested and, then, and, 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 I, and we're asking that question, what will remain? But on the flip side, I'm hearing beautiful stories of churches that are adapting and transforming and even repenting in order to be sources of faith, hope, and love in these trying times. And like, so, so, so hearing the stories where, where churches are, are, are investing in, um, but like just different people telling different stories of churches just doing beautiful things, helping their neighbors, doing whatever they can to, to love, to, to be love, right? Um, in these trying times. And so this gives me hope, this gives me faith, and this gives me, um, this challenges me to, to want to love more as well. When I hear different people doing different things, I'm like, I could actually do that. We could actually do that as a community. And so I think this season is giving us the opportunity to adapt, to live into our vision of being reduced to love. I think that this season is giving us the opportunity to transform into a community that is defined by faith, hope, and love.
And I think that this season is giving us the opportunity to repent of any of the ways and any of the things that have actually hindered us from leaning into that idea of being reduced to love together. And if I'm being honest, um, there have been many things in this journey that have tripped me up along the way where I have found myself being more of a noisy gong to people than I have been being loving to people, right? And, and here's the hard reality that we face is that none of us knows what's gonna happen tomorrow. Like we can, but we can, but the, but the positive part of it is that we can live our lives in such a way that no matter what happens, we are reduced to love. We are known by our love. And, and this is a, you know, we're, we're given that opportunity to lean into that individually and collectively as a community. And so when I look at, when I look at my life, I know that I'm not there yet. Um, and maybe I never will be, I never will get there personally fully. You know what I mean? Who knows? But I, but I do want to spend my entire life in pursuit of being reduced to love. At the end of the day, um, when all is said and done for me, um, I want my life to be defined by being reduced to love. And so my prayer for, for, for my prayer in this is Lord, thank you for, for, for being love. Thank you for being reduced to love in front of us, allowing us to follow you and become reduced to love ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.